This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Well, are you all just full of the Spirit and encouraged and inspired to move forward in the Lord's work? And personally? Great. It's glad, I'm glad to see you this morning for this message. And uh, tomorrow uh, afternoon for the final message, we are going to have Dr. Zeno Charles Marcel delivering the message. And that is an amazing treat. He's from the General Conference. He goes all over the world. And, and he's, such, he's so passionate about Christ and about his soon coming and this message. So I really want to invite you to come, bring your friends to that. It'll be very, very special. I asked him at the last minute, I said, what do you want to do? I will give you any class you want. And he chose the one tomorrow afternoon. So I'm grateful for that. Glad you're here this morning. And I just want to tell you before we start, there are some things on the back table for you to take and enjoy. It's, it's all I have left that uh, I can give away, but I want you to have it. So we have the small and the large size glow type health tracks. We have a few of them left back there and I will certainly give these up. These are great when you're having meetings, either in your home, your church. People love handouts. And it's the same information but in two different sizes. So this is great to leave somewhere. These are nice when you're having meetings. And there are 24 topics. And our CDs that we have developed, these are the Balanced Living PowerPoints. There are eight PowerPoints on each CD with a set of 24 tracks. The next, the final set of eight will be ready in about a month. And I am, uh, these are for you to use in evangelism in your home, in your church. Each of the eight programs have a long and a short, beautifully scripted program, gorgeous images. They are editable. They are translatable into other languages. They have appeals written in so that you can go and win souls for Christ. Uh, and so usually, now online, if you download a single PowerPoint in the short and long version, it's $10. I'm selling these just because I just am, and I'll have to explain it when I go back to work, $20 for each one. So eight, 16 PowerPoints on each of these for $20. And I'm probably going to have to apologize when I go back to work. But... That's what I've decided to do. This is the last morning they'll be available. And then the other thing that we have, and I'm so thankful that God has called me to produce materials for you. Because what good is it to globetrot and talk? I want to leave people with things that they can use. And when you share a piece of literature, it's going to change hands six times, an average of six times. These magazines are awesome. They're called Balance Magazine. There are 12 of them, 12 topics. And what I love to do, since we're talking about leadership and team building today, what we do, we have a, a plan for growing uh, enthusiasm within the church. When we, when we put together handbills for an event, we'll put it right in a magazine. And as church members leave, we have them, just like a, a waiter or waitress in, in the foyer there. Uh, we ask them, how many of these would you like to share with your friends with an invitation? Now, when you share an invitation to an event, and it has a beautiful magazine with it, what is that going to do to the perceived value of that event? It, it really ramps it up. They go, wow, this is a nice invitation, but look at this magazine. And it's beautiful. Four color, short articles. Each magazine has a spiritual piece. And what we're doing at, in the Michigan Conference for our Unlock Revelation Evangelism Thrust right now, we're selling these for 10 cents a piece, plus shipping. Okay, so don't forget... These, that is amazing. So uh, just to let you know that these resources are there, and I'm going to give this little stack of things to you to take, and whatever's left on the table back there. So with that, I would like to say good morning, and I'm glad you're here. So let's get started. Fa Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we can spend together. How precious it is to spend time with you and with each other in the fellowship of your spirit. And I ask that you'd come and baptize our hearts with inspiration, uh, that we will understand the, the times in which we live and how you plan for each of us to pay a, 
play a special part, please be with me as I share, that the needs of each one will be met through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're talking about answering Christ's leadership call. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Isn't it just amazing that we have been given such beautiful light to follow? He is all about life, life, life. When Jesus went from town to town, he healed, he healed, he healed. And, and what was the message behind it? I am life. Do you want life? Come to me for life. He that has the Son has what? Life. And he that has not the Son has not life. And we can get, as health educators, we can get hung up with that. Well, uh, he healed everybody in town, and you know, shouldn't we be fixing everybody at our meetings? And what do we do about people that, that, are, that stay paralyzed? And, 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 and that don't get their miracle, and they're not healed from their multiple sclerosis, or they die of cancer, or they're, they're on dialysis, or whatever, but Jesus went from town to town. Well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, uh, Jesus had been healing all day long, and the disciples were so excited, and that night, Jesus went off to pray by himself. And he spent the night in prayer. And they came to him in the morning. They said, the people come to you. There's more. They want healing. And Jesus said, we need to go to the next town because I have to preach the kingdom. What's the message there? The message is that there's a much higher purpose, the big picture of what we do as health leaders than just fixing people. Because the truth is, we can't fix people. Jesus is called the lily of the valley. Our job is to relieve suffering, to gather teams, and to, to bring light into people's lives. And as health educators, it's to relieve suffering, but we can't fix everyone. But can everyone have value added to their life? Can everyone receive the life of Christ for eternity? That's the big picture. When Zacchaeus needed to see Jesus, he had to do what? He had to climb a tree to see the big picture. And so today we're going to take a look at the big picture in leadership. And if you have a desire to see Jesus, he has a tree prepared for you. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But now he says, he transfers it to his people. This hapless set of disciples who are still prone to err, who are waiting for their Lord and Master, to return, even at Pentecost, you know, even before Pentecost. Well, are you, are you going to restore the kingdom now at this time? So even in their misunderstandings, he called them to work, knowing that they would learn that the seed of greatness, the seed of character is a willing heart and a learning mindset. So that's what he needs. When Christ has that, he can work with us. Jesus said, you are the light of this world. Set your light on a lampstand that it may give light to all that are in the house. Now, um, that can just make us cringe, can't it? I mean, can that, what does that mean? Does it mean that you have to, to, to start a radio program? Or I, I've read some, um, some studies on what people are, are more afraid of than death, and public speaking is one of them. Uh, and, I, and I can see why. I, I used to get, I am an introvert. I, I would love, my very first speech class, the message that, that I prepared for my speech class was the joy of knitting. Okay, I had no, <laughs> no plans for anything like this. And I still have to fight migraines when I have to do public speaking. So, but if God lays his hand upon you, and you have this message in your heart, he's going to stretch you. He's going to have you do things that you never knew that you could do. And he'll bring joy with the dissonance and discomfort that goes with it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And thankfully, we're not called to do this alone. We're called to do it in teams. So let's take a look at some snapshots of leadership. What really does it mean 
to be a leader? Does it mean that you're bossy and you, you, you can tell people what to do and do stuff with authority and get people excited and, and rally around you? Is that, is that what it means to be a leader? Well, the Bible says Moses was the meekest man on earth. God called Jeremiah to be a leader and he says, I'm a child. Uh, and every time he did what God told him, you know, he wind up in, tr in some pretty serious trouble. So God can use all personalities, all types, people from all walks of life to lead in very different kinds of ways. How many of you want to be a leader in the way that God calls you to be? And it may be, even be in the background. Uh, and so I, I just want to put it out there to you right now. What kind of leader would you follow? What, 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 is the, what type of leader would you be willing to follow? Someone who's confident. The one who keeps what he says. Someone who's organized. Someone who's humble. Yeah, they're less dangerous when they're humble. Yeah. Someone with integrity. Someone who inspires. Someone who relates to the people that they're leading. Sir, did you have your hand? No? Someone else? Yes, sir. Who cares about their followers, personally invested, enthusiastic. Thank you. Thank you. And I need to see you after class. Thank you. You're not in trouble, but I need to see you after class. What else? Yes. Oh, boy. That's a little hard. Someone who can take criticism. Someone with direction. Yes. Someone who does the dirty work. They can roll up their sleeves and, and do whatever needs to be done. Yes. Someone who has drive. I'm sorry? Oh, that's just a wonderful, yeah, someone who's willing to grow. That's really important. Someone who's willing to hold the team individually and as a group and themselves accountable. Yes. Someone who cares about you personally. Because, you know, this, this whole idea of, you know, leave your personal life at home when you come to work. Really, we're people. We don't, we don't do that. Um, yes, sir. Someone who's fair. Okay, fair, yes. Someone who has a meaningful vision. Well, it sounds like you are all prepared. Yes, ma'am. A godly person, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yes. Someone who's willing to serve. Well, these are amazing descriptions. Um, let's, let's just take a look at some of these snapshots, and then we're going to see an example, couple, an example from the Bible. I love some of these sayings. The function of leadership is to produce more leaders, not more followers. And that can be a rather intimidating thing. You're actually training people to take your place. <laughs> but it's important that we be able to reproduce the vision in other people and not just keep it to ourselves like some kind of celebrity. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into what? Into reality. Leaders are made, not born. It's not what happens to us that makes us leaders. It's what happens in us. And have any of you been in leadership positions? I'm sure most, yeah. How many of you have had something that you've needed to head up, lead? My first experience of, uh, in, in a really shocking experience in a leadership position was in my master's program in public administration. We were doing uh, a school closure study and a city revitalization plan, and for some reason I got put in charge of the investigation and threshing out the results and which school would close and which one's not and how we were going to do this historical overlay in the community. And, and it was a test, and we were divided up into different groups. And so I worked with a team. And, and one of the choices that we made, the, the girl that was chosen to give the report of our, our study and our research, she was chosen to report on what we did. And it just so happened that the school that we chose uh, for closure was the wrong one. And the girl stood up in front and she said, I didn't, I didn't do that. She did. <laughs> Me. 
I was responsible for the entire failure of this thing in her eyes, and she was really happy to announce it. I was just mortified because I put so much work into it. I did my best. So, you know, when you're the leader, you have to be willing to accept responsibility. And I've been in situations in leadership where people are fighting, and I just have to say, you know what, I'm responsible for this. I didn't foresee it. You, you, you know, just take it. Just, t just take it. it. It's easier. And then everybody settles down and you can get the job done. So you just really, you know, I've learned these things over time. Um, I've also learned that just being enthusiastic and doing a good sales job does not mean you've made the right decision. And so it's really important to pair up with somebody as a partner that, that is a, a balance to what your personality is. So I, I am very enthusiastic about what I buy into. I'm just on it, and we're going to do it, and I'm excited, and I don't want anything to stop us, and we're going to do it now. And, you know, you can put your nose in a beehive. Uh, real fast with that kind of mentality. So my colleague, Evelyn Kissinger, is a complete opposite personality. She's very deliberating. She's, uh, she asks all the hard questions. She wants to wait. And, and she'll look at me and say, so do we have to send this email out right now? <laughs> so just because you share the same vision with people doesn't mean your personalities are even close to being the same. But that's such a blessing. I don't know what I would do without Evelyn, and I think she needs me too. <laughs> no man will make a great leader who wants to do it all himself or get all the credit for doing it. Asked his secret for success as president of Yale University, Dr. James Engel explained, grow antenna, not horns, not horns. I remember going to uh, do a program in, in uh, I can't remember what state it was, but it was a big event with all these, this cooking, and I was the speaker, the guest speaker, and I wanted to be gracious and helpful and a servant. You know, I didn't want to just step in like the speaker and leave all the people doing the work, so I went into the kitchen, and they were doing recipes from my cookbook, and it was this patty recipe, and so I went into the kitchen to help, and I started forming patties like I know how to do because it was my recipe. Well, the leader of this team came up to me and she said, these are meatballs. And if we're going to get along, you need to do this the right way. I, I was just shocked because I was volunteering to help. I could have holed up in my room like an aristocrat if I wanted to. Uh, and so it, it's so easy, nothing against her personally, but it's so easy to get caught up in the panic of a moment, in the urgency of a moment, and forget how we come across to other people, especially if we're leaders, especially if you have a choleric kind of personality where, you know, we're following this list. We're following this list. But the most important, pe imp the most important people at your event are your, are your team because they're the ones that are going to live with you after everybody goes. And the public is watching uh, your attitudes. Leadership has a harder job to do than just choose sides. It must bring sides together. And I'm going to be very politically incorrect here. I, I noticed this about my husband and his friends, his male friends, that they can disagree about things pretty heatedly, and then f 10 minutes later, they're they're just working on something and, you know, it's gone. I mean, it's just gone. But with women, it, it just doesn't quite work out that way. So you have six or seven women working on a project, and they're all very opinionated and emotional. Um, I, I want to tell you, it's, it's wonderful, but it takes, it takes prayer, and it takes looking at the big picture and affirming everybody's emotions that I don't even know how to finish this but it, when you get in a situation like that it's really easy to step on some, on one person and, and we don't want to do that because all that enthusiasm is really great and people with strong opinions are really great but somebody in a situation like that like you said has to take charge make a decision and okay we're gonna move forward and climb the Zacchaeus tree and look at the big picture the ability to keep a cool head in an emergency, maintain poise in the midst of excitement, and refuse to be stampeded 
are the true marks of leadership. <laughs> um, this, is, this is where you get your training, the boots on the ground training. Leadership is the ability to hide your panic from others. Uh, the leadership that I have been trained under in our conference, I have learned a lot about leadership just from watching seasoned leaders. Do you have somebody like that in your life, in your church, that you just look at their personality, how they act under pressure, and it's really remarkable. Uh, and what I have seen is that in a crisis, the strongest leadership trait that keeps everybody afloat is a, a buoyant, faithful spirit of trusting God. And, and, and dwelling on the hopeful side of things rather than focusing on the crisis at hand. It doesn't mean you don't deal with it. But for instance, when I told the story about our Simple Solutions book, how many of you were here when I told the story about the Simple Solutions book, our first project for the conference? Uh, it, it, we printed 20,000 copies, and my husband and I, we bought this 800 number. It was in three places in the book. It was our very first assignment. We wanted to please our conference president, please the Lord, please executive committee. Our department was created for this purpose, to produce materials for soul winning. Well, the 800 number that we thought we purchased was actually an 800 number to a specialty tobacco company. So when the books came off the press uh, and you wanted help with stress, immune function, and depression, and you called that 800 number, well, we have a tobacco for you. Uh, and so I remember waking up that morning and thinking, this, that's our fourth edition, uh, so I didn't get fired. But I remember waking up that morning and thinking, this would be a good day to get hit by a train. Like, like I'm not even at risk for a heart attack, but wow, you know, how would that be? I could just go to heaven someday, you know, just rest and just be done. I did my best and let them fix the problem. Well, I had to go to work. I had to tell my boss what happened, and he was very gracious. He said, you know, that we've learned something to really check those numbers. And then he was instantly focused on a solution, and it made me so loyal. This happened 15 years ago. And it made me so loyal that to this day, if I could work for nothing for the Michigan Conference, I would do so. That's what that, and it taught me how to deal with people that make really big mistakes. Really big mistakes. So that's the kind of example. How are we going to behave when everything is going wrong? I was, received a very good piece of advice from an elderly lady who'd been running programs for years. And it sounded funny to me when I first heard it. It sounded selfish. But she was right. She said, when you are in a leadership position, when you're leading a project, don't give yourself a job. You just know how to do everything that everybody's doing because something's going to fall through and you're going to have to step in. Don't assign yourself a job. You're not the communications person. You're not the advertising exec. You're not the one that gets all the people together or the food or the, you know, you just boss the job. That's the term she used, boss the job. And um, that doesn't mean bossy, but that was a really, that was a gem piece of information because regardless of how well you plan, uh, life is what happens when you make your plans. And it's not always beautiful. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. I like this one. Leaders toss their hat over the fence. John uh, Fitzgerald was John Kennedy's grandfather. <clears throat> and I think he's in Ireland. As a young man, he was a little guy. And his friends used to ta taunt and tease him about his height. And they used to, uh, you know, in those days, they didn't have a closet full of hats. They had one hat for the winter. And he had his hat on. And so they, they taunted him about his hat that he couldn't get it, get it uh, retrieve it from over the fence. So he took off his hat and he tossed it over the fence. Though that act of tossing, tossing his hat over that high fence, what did that do for John? What did it do? He made a commitment and it caused him to have to get over that fence. And so leaders have a big vision. They toss their hat over the fence. So let's take a look at a great picture of the elements that come, uh, that come at you when, you when God lays on your heart to lead out, whether it's leading out in your home, whether it's leading out in a church program, whether 
I think that this, I think that the principles that we will learn here this morning are really valuable in relationships. They're valuable at work. Uh, I don't think it's just confined to holding a program, but that's the context in which we are uh, talking today. So here's David. David had two main problems. When he showed up at the camp where the Philistines were braying and bleating and taunting the Israelites, Goliath said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So a lot of obstacles from without to overcome. But that wasn't the only problem that David faced. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, what happened? They were dismayed and greatly af afraid. So there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of fear. There was disorganization. And they were, uh, they were taking very seriously these taunts. And they did not have a plan and they did not have the will or the desire to, uh, to uh, embrace this challenge. There were some other challenges that David faced. Well, one of them was a surprise call from God. I mean, this kid was, got a grocery list from his dad to deliver cheese and grapes to the camp. So he's just, he's minding his business as a shepherd. He's, he went to the grocery place, gets the groceries. He shows up at camp and there's a big challenge going on and God anoints him to do this. So being prepared for the surprise call of God is something that I believe firmly that we all need to embrace. Just because you're not facing a big challenge and leading a, leading a charge today doesn't mean you're not going to be called to do it tomorrow. I mean, Moses was on the backside of a mountain tending sheep when he came up against the, that burning bush. Um, Joseph was sweeping up in the dungeon when he was called to shave and change his clothes and go before Pharaoh. So the really important principle that we need to embrace right now in this urgent hour is that we need to add value to ourselves and we need to be preparing for the challenges that will, that will come. So for just in my own life, I, I am positive that at some point I will be called to work with Muslim brothers and sisters to explain the triune God and Christianity versus Allah and the Quran. I'm just sure of it. So I have, I have gotten this amazing book called No God But One, Allah or Jesus by Nabal, uh, Nabal Qureshi, Nahim Qureshi, Nahim Qureshi and another book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's the most amazing apologetic for the Christian faith and how to approach and reach our Muslim brothers and sisters for Jesus Christ. I'm just sure that I want to be ready if this challenge should come my way. I also, in my heart, know that we will be called before kings to, to preach our messages and to defend our faith. So I am studying uh, the revelation right now with Thoughts on Revelation by Uriah Smith. I'm going through all of that again, just knowing uh, and, and Ellen White says that the day will come where we will be brought into courts to give a reason for our faith. And many of us will realize for the first time that we don't know what we believe. I'm reading the book by Edward Fudge, a fire that consume, The Fire That Consumes. He's a, he's a Baptist lawyer uh, who was excoriated for this 500-page work on the state of the dead, the fate of the wicked and the non-immortality of the soul. It's an incredible, seminal work on the, the testing truths that we hold to be so true. It's an incredible piece. He's read David Froome. He's read um, uh, Uriah Smith's book called Here and Hereafter. He's, it, it's, a, it's just an amazing, seminal piece. And I just know, I just know that these opportunities will come. When I knew that God called me to do this work, I knew I had to take chemistry courses and get a degree, a master's degree in nutrition and nutritional biochemistry to be able to be up to speed with what I knew I would be called to do. Uh, and, the, and, and so it's so important to add value to your own life. You are not being selfish 
when you add value to your life and add value to your skills and you gain knowledge and you gain expertise and you learn things about art and architecture and travel and history and all those things that make you conversational and make you skilled at winning souls because then you can add value to other people's lives. Amen? Every faculty needs to be strengthened for Jesus Christ because your burning bush may be waiting for you tomorrow. And I really believe that. I really believe that the reason that God has me doing this is because a lot of you can do what I'm doing better than me. And have at it. I, my first speech was on knitting, and I still would like to go home and knit a sweater. So, so if you think that I'm not doing this well, fine. You know, take these materials. <laughs> and so my job is to empower each and every one of you with everything I have so that you can find your calling in God. And you may miss it if you don't start diligently studying and working and adding value to your lives. You may miss your burning bush experience, but God has one for you because you're special. And just the fact that you know these truths is an incredible gift. And I read the other day in inspiration that to be able to impart information is a gift from God. Isn't that just amazing? How many of you would like to be able to impart this amazing truth and save a soul from hell? That's what this is all about. So David had to be ready for his surprise call from God. He had to face criticism from within. He made a commitment and it had not been done. He made a commitment to, uh, to slay a giant. It had not been done, and he had no personal experience in slaying giants. And he was alone in his decision. Let's look at some of the scriptures. They're so thrilling and so exciting. I just was in a meeting last week. I am constantly being challenged. I was in a meeting last week, and our officers, we're doing a huge statewide unlock revelation in Michigan, and the officers turned to me and said, we want you and Evelyn to hold four pre-meetings, live stream, plus at every church, uh, produce four meetings four weeks before uh, one meeting a week, four weeks before Unlock Revelation on the health message and live stream it, plus have pre-programmed uh, materials for them. And we want 4,000 people to attend these. I just went home and I said, Evelyn, I said, I don't know what, what we're going to do. I mean, I, I mean, it just is overwhelming. What, how do you, what do you do when somebody says they want you to do something like that? Well, I'll tell you, yesterday's program afternoon, I was practicing on you. Um, <laughs> so I, I believe by faith that God is going to help us to do what we can do. Amen? And what I can't do, I can't do. Uh, if, it do if it fails, I've done my best. And I still know how to knit, after all. <laughs> A champion came out from the armies of the Philistines and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? So the, 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 the Israelites, they were all dressed up in their armor, but they were terrified. They were terrified. When all the men of Israel saw the giant, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. But David was there. He just brought the cheese and the grapes. And the Holy Spirit took hold of his heart. And he said, David said to Saul, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. That was from God. Have you ever had that happen where something just stirs in your heart and you just can't say still and you just, you just believe it and you're going to stand for it? That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Now Eliab, his older brother, said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Um, I, I have experienced this kind of thing. When the Lord called my husband and I to start doing research and get a team together with a dietitian and other health professionals to write books and cookbooks and magazines and tracts, you know, that's really unusual to happen at the conference level. Uh, it, it's just unheard of, even, and and I don't have, I mean, my I, I don't have that many degrees, um, but I surrounded myself with people who were really, uh, really amazing, and I love research. I love libraries. I love research. So God had a plan, but I had to, I had to contend with a lot of criticism and being ignored 
for from certain ones for a long time because I didn't have so many so many letters after my name that it looks like a Scrabble mistake, you know, after the name. But when God calls you to do something, it doesn't mean that you strike out independently. It doesn't mean that you don't have humility. I, I submitted every manuscript to all those people who were my critics. And I said, anything that you see that needs changing or correcting, please do it. And our, our book, uh, Foods for Thought, I don't have a copy here now, the last one sold yesterday, but the book Foods for Thought, someone got a hold of it and they just ripped it. I mean, they just ripped a lot of the, if, a research, if I misquoted a research or, or gave it the wrong slant, I mean, she just ripped it to pieces. And I was so grateful because it set my course for the rest of my work in, uh, in this field to be punctiliously careful, not say what the study, I wish the study says. I mean, it was the most wonderful and it was devastating. So I was tempted to just quit and not even try. Uh, so the misprint that went out in that first edition, it was talking about fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids and uh, working memory. And so I was trying to describe what working memory was. I said, you know, rats that, that have these fatty acids and they have more of the omega-3s, they have better working memory than their non-fatty acid counterparts. And then in parentheses, it said such as uh, remembering phone numbers. And someone emailed me and said, well, when these rats start dialing these phone numbers, I'm going to really get serious about... <laughs> So, you know, you pray for God to lead. You pray that, that everything is going to be perfect. And when you have your first meeting, you think that there are going to be so many people there that the police are going to have to direct traffic and that the angels are just going to drag them there. Well, it may be abysmal. You may have six people, but it's still an amazing experience because you're learning and your charge as a leader is to keep your people encouraged when you don't have great results and when you're going to have to do it again. And so his brother continues, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. And the people answered the same thing. So negativity and gossip are contagious. And so when I, uh, we did a, an amazing program. We did a series of supper clubs at the Lansing Church. And we had three teams of 10. So that every month, for, we have a supper club once a month, and for every month, it was one team of 10 that was in charge of that one. The other two teams got to just attend. So, so only once every three months, the team, that's called building redundancy or backup systems. So nobody got burned out. You don't give 10 jobs to one person and then work them to death. They'll move to another state. So when we sat down and had our initial meeting, um, the Lord helped me. And I said, you know, I don't expect this to be flawless, and I expect that we will make mistakes and have to apologize to one another. There's just stuff we don't know. There's stuff about ourselves that we don't know. And the minute you have a group of people getting together to do things, something's going to happen that hurts somebody's feelings, and we're just going to work through it because we're a team and we have a bigger purpose. So the expectation, I set the expectation that it's okay not to have this thing down perfectly but we're going to work together till we get it right. And do you know, I could see people's body language change <sighs> because everybody wants to do well. Nobody wants to make a mistake. Nobody wants to be ugly and rude, but sometimes in the heat of the moment, it happens. And so I could see everyone. And do you know, we grew in three months, we grew from 30 to 90 people coming to that supper club. We had 12 people at the, at just in a very short period of time, sign up for Bible studies. And we made mistakes along the way, but in the same way that negativity and gossip is contagious, so is encouragement and enthusiasm. When you look for a way to affirm somebody, even if they're dead wrong, you know, you're really passionate about this, and I appreciate your commitment. I mean, that's, that's noteworthy. And then you, you, so you've created some cushion for a discussion that has to take place. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth, and he's been a warrior from his youth. So, <laughs> I mean, there's no consensus that David can do any of this. And this is, this is something to really remember, too. I remember when the Lord, in, when we lived in North Carolina, 
no, we were in Thompsonville, Illinois, when the Lord impressed Dane and I to move out in the health work and to, 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 to start doing ministry in the health work, um, we knelt down and we prayed for a studio, a staff, and $100,000 in order to get started. Well, do you know what we got? A neighbor asking for a cooking school in my kitchen. And the Bible says, who has despised the day of small things? When we take advantage of little opportunities like that, it's a great training ground. And it's so much better to start little and learn as you go than to cr get some huge plan together that is, and you are untried, your armor isn't tried, you're inexperienced. Starting small is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to do. But inevitably, someone will always be there to remind you that it's never been done, it's never worked, you are not qualified, your motives are not right, and the conditions are not right. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've made, well, maybe not the biggest, but it's one of the mistakes that I've made, is walking into a board meeting. The Lord has laid something on my heart, and I am on fire. I just can see it. I know it. I've got the plan. I know it's from God. I walk into a board meeting, and I expect a group of people to instantly buy into it, accept it, have nothing but praise for it, and give me a budget. Do you know how ridiculous that is? Uh, it's taken years for some of the objectives that God has laid on my heart to come to fruition with other departments. Connecting with other departments is really key when you can create on-ramps to other departments in your programming because the health ministry work is for everybody. It's, it's, it's not for this exclusive group, uh, and it's not us versus them that aren't doing things the right way. So, for instance, if the stewardship department is, uh, instead of, if they're not coming to my programs and their demographic isn't coming to my programs, instead of sitting and complaining that they're not interested in my programs, how about if they, at our church they did a um, financial peace universe, you know that, that program, uh, financial, what is it called? Financial Peace University. Yeah, really cool program. So what we did is we created a connection with them uh, on uh, eating on a dime, budget, budget eating on a dime, or I can't remember. It's a cute, catchy phrase that we came up with. And the evening that they had their meeting, we followed it with a very cool supper club. We fed them. We had, we had a, a program designed to minister to that demographic, and they came. It was wonderful. When the Vacation Bible School people had their program, we had a wonderful magazine called Supersized Kids. We still have it. And we gave invitations to all the parents and kids and, and leaders of that school, and we had a Healthy Lunches for Kids program for that demographic. And so it actually lit, our job is to lift up other departments. It's not to compete for scarce resources. That's a horrible mentality. How can I bless every other department in the church? That's what we want. How can we bless women's ministry? How can we bless the social committee? Well, you get these people on your team just for advice and input. You tell them, I'm not, you know, you don't have to do a lot of work, but we want to know what you're doing. What's your calendar? What are you doing? How can we bless you? Because the women's ministry, when they hold these breakfasts, that's, a, that's the quintessential social event. So we have the resources to minister to and bless every department and to join hands with other departments instead of compete for scarce resources. Are you with me? David's response to discouragement was amazing. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armors of Israel, whom you have taunted. So his eyes were fixed on God and God's plan and God's power. It's one of the things I love in reading the Old Testament is when Moses and Aaron, when the people would rebel and they would foment all these problems and complain and whine, Moses and Aaron, what would, they, what would the first thing be that they would do? It was very physical. They would fall on their faces before God. I mean, we can just fall on our face before God and say, God, there's a problem brewing. I don't know how to deal with it. We need people on board. Give me the next step. Sometimes it's just the next step. 
that needs to happen. We don't have the answers for the whole picture, but it's the next step. And sometimes when it fails this year, the timing is better next year. It doesn't mean that you have to give it up. It just means there may be another time for it. D I love this. David did not say this giant is too big to kill. He said this giant is too big to miss. <laughs> so God's, our extremity is God's opportunity for sure. So David rallied the troops. I tell you, hope is the heart of health and it's hope is also the heart of your health team, the health team. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine and the discouragement and the criticism and the problems. We know we just have to develop a little bit of crocodile skin and not get our feelings hurt so easily. Uh, with a sling and a stone, he struck the Philistine and killed him. And all the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Uh, I had to do a series at one church. I did a series of programs and the greeter, I don't know how this happened, but the greeter was the most irritable, unfriendly human being I have ever met within our church doors. I have never seen someone that can scowl like that. And it just rippled through all of him. It just, he just exuded irritability. And I didn't know what to do. You know, what, what would your flesh want to do in a situation like, I mean, I'm in charge of this program. What would, you, what would your instinct, your fleshly instinct be to do? You know, cut this guy out. Get rid of him. Give him the hook, you know. <laughs> Who did this? Who made this decision? Well, I've been the recipient of enough kindness when I've made mistakes and had an attitude and didn't even realize it that God gave me a better way. So I'm going to ask you to come up and be brother, brother X. So scowl. Here. <laughs> She's looking mean. You're at the door, scaring people away. <laughs> Brother X, thank you so much for your contribution to this program. What would we do without you? Really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate it. It took, it took, yeah, it, it actually, it took, it took several weeks. But now he lights up when he sees me and I just say, you know, you are the greeter's greeter. You know, you are just, what would we do without you, Brother X? And I'm so thankful that you showed up for these meetings because what would it be if I did this all by myself? I need you. And you know, it melted his heart and he's gotten friendly. It's been wonderful and that's not my nature. That is not my nature to do that. <laughs> but it's been done for me when I've been wrong. So, we fail not because of big problems, but because of small purposes. We've just got to have a tree to climb to see the big picture when things go wrong. We usually have to charge Goliaths by ourselves, and small successes always lead to greater successes. I love this last point. Success for most people comes after someone else has done the impossible. When we published our first issue, of Balance Magazine, I'll take that back. When we published our first issue of Balance Magazine, it's a 16-page beautiful magazine, um, and we did it, Ellen White said, tracks and publications would be published to go out like the leaves of autumn, and she even said 16 pages. So we chose 16 pages. Well, when I was trying to get authors to help me with some of the articles, uh, people of various professions. Well, this was an unknown thing. Nobody heard about it. Nobody knew about it. And they really weren't very interested in giving me much time or attention. Uh, but once the magazine became successful, I, whoever I chose to be involved was very happy to do so. Isn't that just an incredible thing? So when something is successful, people are willing to get on board. And if it's from God, it may take time. But the thing to guard against is bitterness and being ugly and having an attitude. You know, being indignant is a sin. To walk around with an indignant attitude is really sinful. And God's not going to bless that. What he blesses is dependence on him. Roger Bannister. How many of you know that name? Ro yes, of course you would know. Roger Bannister. Anybody here from England? 
Roger Bannister was born, I think, around 1927 or 28. And at the age of 17, he decided that it was time for him to run a mile in less than four minutes. Now, the, the, uh, the common wisdom, the wisdom of the day, was that no human being could run a mile in less than four minutes. It has never been done. Something might happen inside your body. You might hemorrhage. Uh, it just simply was not possible. Well, after many, many tries, many, many failures, and a several near disasters, uh, in a race between the British, I think it's called Oxford, AAA, anyway, two different universities, he was on one of the teams, Roger Bannister ran a mile in three minutes and 59 seconds. He did the impossible. But that's not the most exciting part of this story. Once he had done the impossible, within the next couple of years, 200 more people did the impossible. Once you've done the impossible, other people. A path is created for other people to do the impossible. So it does not take any discipline to dream but it does take discipline to make those dreams real. For every, for every idea that you have, 10 other people have had that idea, but all they've done is think about it. This level of commitment divides the concerned from the committed. You know, the things that you and I talk about here at GYC, you and your friends, the concerns of the world, the world crisis, the economy, the budget, the moral decline, uh, the instability and uncertainty, the addictions, all of these things. You can go to a cocktail party and talk about all those things and you will get people to, who, who absolutely resonate with everything that you are saying. But it's a really different thing to be committed to a cause for God's sake. Leaders lead with a vision. And this is all what you, you gave me this morning when we started. They, leave with, they lead with commitment, they lead with purpose, team, and a plan. I would add one to that, and that would be courage and joy. Courage and joy. Uh, sometimes you have to pretend, <laughs> but it's very, very important. Victory requires more than positive thinking. This is just a thought pattern. It requires more than enthusiasm. That is just a feeling. It even requires more than action. Victory comes when we think right about our problems, feel right about our problems, and then act right about our problems. And that requires a purpose and a plan. I think we discovered some of those elements when, we, if, for those of you who were in the mindset program yesterday. So what are the elements of a successful program? We want to have quality programs that are well organized, all in the context of a what? A loving environment. We focus a lot on being loving to the guests, but we need to create loving encouragement to one another uh, as well. And just because you're right, and somebody else is wrong doesn't mean that you cannot lift up the arms of your brother or sister. It's really important to realize that somebody doesn't need to understand how wrong they are. It's just not that important. The Holy Spirit may convict them later on. They may have committed to do XYZ and now they're denying it and you're stuck with it at 11 o'clock at night. It's okay. You don't need to convince them that they're wrong. Why create a battle? You cannot touch that heart, but the Holy Spirit can wake up. You know, the Bible says this. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what that really means is to carry one another's troublesome moral faults. So it's not my job to convict or convince people that they are wrong. Unless they're harming the team, unless there's something that really needs to be addressed, like you're talking about accountability. But if it's, some, if it's something that's just aggravating and inconvenient, you know, just be quiet about it. If you tell another, if you whisper it in the ears of a bird, it's going to get around. So best to just keep it to yourself, deal with it 
in a compassionate and loving way and go to God. Because you know what? If somebody's going to be nasty and be irresponsible, their turn uh, being taken to the shed by the Father is coming. Don't worry about it. Do you get what I mean? We've all been to the shed with our Heavenly Father for some discipline. He's the one that holds the rod, not us. And by the way, within people will walk into the room that you're holding an event and they're going to make a decision about the quality of that event within 38 seconds. I've walked into uh, events where I'm supposed to speak. It's, the t it's time for it to begin and I'm tripping over baskets. The staff is all huddled in the back unpacking stuff and it's just chaos. And when you have something like that, and, and then the staff goes in the kitchen and talks while you're doing your presentation. What, is that, what message does that give? You know, it says, this really isn't important. I'm just, I'm just doing this because I was recruited. So we have, I don't let anybody put chairs along the side of the wall for the staff to sit. They are instructed to sit with people that they don't know and nod and smile and be a part of the program. Uh, and I, my job is to make it as interesting as possible. Sign the cards for commitment. Sign up for the Bible studies because somebody seeing you do it, it may prompt them to do it. Amen? So, you know, whatever the job is that a person has at that meeting, it's vital. It's critical. And I want to tell you, the creativity that comes out in, in people who, who are decorating and organizing and planning and it's just amazing when it all comes together what a joy it is for the, to know that you have worked together for souls, that you have survived some of the mishaps. When you're driving, have you seen those yellow signs with a squiggly line? It tell, it, what, is the, what do those signs tell you? That there are some curves coming and maybe some potholes or maybe some roadblocks, but you're still going to get to your destination. And so when we have a realistic expectation that, yeah, you know, there, there are going to be some unexpected things that happen. A flaw may come up in my personality or character that I wasn't aware of or somebody else or some weakness. And if I'm willing to just say, you know, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I, I really wasn't listening or paying attention. And I should have, and I apologize. And, um, you know, is that so hard to do? What, will, what do you think of someone who's willing to do that? What is your opinion of someone who is willing to do that? Is it better or worse? Do you look down on them or look up? Yeah, it's an honorable thing. So uh, that, that is the joy of leadership, the joy of setting an example of humility, admitting our mistakes, willingness to grow, appreciating the team, letting them have the credit, and in our programs and in our work with one another, we must not just focus on health education. We must infuse our programs with hope. And that means motivating people and inspiring them that they can do this. I'll wait for you to take that picture of that. Because all three are so very important. God has a plan for each and every one of you. I want you to all be ready for your burning bush experience. Whatever the Lord is prompting you to learn and to get busy with and to master, get started with it. For I know the purposes which I am purposing for you, says the Lord, purposes of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we want fellowship, faith, and fruitfulness to bloom and blossom among our team members. I love this scripture. I just read it the other day. I obtained, this is Paul speaking. I obtained mercy. The verse before, he says, I am the saved by Christ. I am the chief of sinners. This is the verse preceding this. And then he says, I obtained mercy that in me, what? In me first... Christ might show all long-suffering. So whose long-suffering is working through Paul? Whose long-suffering attitude is alive in Paul? It's not Paul's long-suffering. It's Christ's long-suffering working out that Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe for everlasting life. So Paul is not looking at what's happening right now. He understands that his long-suffering is going to produce fruit later in the people that he's working with. So they may be rascals now, but later that long-suffering is good seed. It's fertilizer for the Holy Spirit to work. Martin Luther said this. 
He said, God must be a perfect gentleman because he loves rascals. And he said, I don't love rascals, and I'm one myself. That was the confession of Martin Luther uh, in the 1500s. And so to me, being long-suffering when you are burdened and people come with petty complaints, when you have to work to do someone else's job that they should have done, when you uh, express appreciation knowing that that will keep someone from leaving uh, the team, when you can build people up and create unity. This church where this grouchy, this grouchy greeter was, when I, when I go and visit that church now, it is such a joyful thing. And the team at, at the beginning was in a state of fracture. They were gossiping about one another. They were angry. They were accusing one another. If anything happened that was bad, it was somebody else's fault. If people didn't show up, it was because so-and-so didn't do such and such. And our little core team, we just worked to change that attitude to one of graciousness and working together, just the joy of being together. And that is something that I have learned through experience. It does not come to me naturally uh, because I'm an organizer and, uh, you know, what do they call that program, The Apprentice? I've never seen it before, but people get fired on that show. Um, but I'm so thankful that that spirit must not actuate the Christian. So are there any questions or comments? Anything that anyone would like to add? I love this. One man of you shall chase a thousand, but two working together. By this they shall know that you are Christians. By your what? Your love and your teamwork. One chases a thousand, but two will put 10,000 to flight. For the Lord your God, he it is that fights for you as he has promised you. Jesus said, go and make disciples, make teams, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Amen? All right, are there any comments, any questions, anything anybody would like to share? What have you learned today? What is your takeaway? Something that really has stuck with you. So what time is this? Yeah, we have a minute. Pardon? Yeah, you, you just you, you're, you can't be perfect to be a leader. It's, it's impossible. But if you're willing to be embarrassed when you make mistakes, then it's all going to be good. Yes, sir. Oh, that's, you know, would you text me that every now and then? Don't act on impulse. But be gracious. Oh, that's a biggie. Yes. Yes, little steps, little opportunities. So when you're completely overwhelmed, all you have to do is ask the Lord, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing that I need to do here? Just do the next thing. So there's this saying, go as far as you can see, and then you will what? You'll see to go farther. It's very cool. If you look at the big picture, it's absolutely overwhelming. Uh, when I look at the big picture of what my colleague and I have been asked to do for next year, it's, it's overwhelming. But I did the first, I've done the first thing, uh, which is some stuff. But <laughs> I would like your prayers. Okay, what? <gasps> yes, prepare, prepare, prepare. And God has some surprises for you. Some wonderful things for you to do as you prepare yourself for his service. Yes. Yes, yes, you know, don't worry about the outcome. Go forward with what he's asked you to do. I'm reading through the great controversy right now, and I'm reading in the section about the reformers, and there were moments, there were times when the Reformation was almost extinguished. Imagine how Luther felt when the town was burning up and people were being murdered, and he was being blamed that this is what his doctrine had brought. How did he resurrect himself from such an incredible, devastating a series of things. I mean, it, it, takes, it takes humility, it takes a knowledge that you did what God wanted you to do, and now the results are not what you thought, but you're still going to move forward in truth. Wow. It's, great. it's a great challenge. A great challenge, yes. And he had to come back. The zealots took over, and he had to come back, and he had to win the peasants back to a nonviolent position. He had to do this. And if he had lost hope and lost heart, the, the, the Reformation would have died. Yes. It's easy to get caught up in the moment and forget how we come across. 
Um, would you re remember me about that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can, we can come across very stern and opinionated, and I, and I can actually be that way, and I don't want to be that way, but I'm willing to be taught and corrected as I move along in life. Because when you're passionate about something, you know, there's only one way to look at it, right? <laughs> I thought. Anybody else? What have you learned today? What are you taking away? Yes. Yes, yes. So the target can move, you know, things move. Your plan and your vision have to be flexible to move because things change, conditions change, and sometimes people that are acting squirrely, something has happened at home. You know, Brother X, this isn't like you. What's, what's going on? Can I pray for you? What's happening here, you know? And you, you just minister to their personal needs. Yes? Seek criticism. Yes, absolutely. Seek criticism. Turn in those evaluations. We want to improve. And you cannot have a, a fixed, rigid temperament. You have to have a growth mindset. Growth is the seed of a beautiful character, a, grow, an, a willingness to grow. Uh, to, to be willing to grow, even if other people don't believe that you, that you want to grow because you've just messed things up so badly. But if God knows you want to grow and you know you want to grow, he's going to turn it into something beautiful. Yes, you had your hand up. Did you have your hand up? You? Yes. Yes, mistakes are going to happen. And so we have to bring each other up. It's really easy, at least it was for me when I first started doing this work, to assume that if God's in it, he's not going to let anything go wrong. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't work that way because God is training our reasoning faculties. And our reasoning faculties can never be sharpened. You know, we add, okay, we just had this happen a month ago. I was supposed to do a program at a church in Michigan, the worst week of the year for weather and snow, and, and someone called me that's ahead of the project, very discouraged. We prayed for God to charge, change the weather, and we have a snowstorm. We spent all this money on advertising and food, and what happened? Has God abandoned us? Is he really in this program? Did he really want, why didn't he change the weather? And I said, well, you know, because this is the weather in December. You know, maybe we need to figure out if we're going to do something in December, let's not spend a lot of money on it. Let's spend the money in the spring because God can't change the weather every time we ask him. We need to look at the weather and say, you know, this is not a good time to spend money on a program because we had eight inches of snow. And we don't know when this is going to happen. So it, we, we look for providences, but God lets things happen so that we get smarter, too, the way we do stuff. All right, I think we need to stand for prayer. And tomorrow afternoon... Dr. Charles, Dr. Zeno Charles Marcel is going to teach us about the health message, suffering, and balance. Dear Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, for this time that we could spend together. Thank you for the joy of, of assembling people together to do your work of personal preparation, of casting a vision, walking in that vision, and waiting patiently on you while it comes to pass. I pray that you'd be with each and every soul here, that you would help them, Lord, to get that personal preparation ready for whatever you have for them. And we thank you. You are coming so soon. Help us to be organized. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.